Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My name is Terry Carroll, and I'm glad you have chosen to tune in today. It is always my hope that our listeners will hear something on this program that will be informative, encouraging, helpful, or inspirational. Today is no exception. It was Men's Day at our church in January of 2005 when my guest today was one of the speakers. He and his wife had been members of our church for a few years, but I personally did not know either of them very well. After 16 years, I know them much better. No one who heard him speak that morning in 2005 will ever forget his message. I would like to introduce you to John Fox from Smithfield, North Carolina, and let him tell you his story. Welcome, John. Thank you, Terry. I, uh, I did suffer the loss of a son, and to help me through that loss, I started putting my thoughts and my concerns and my feelings and you know, I'm a big, strong, tough man. I'm not supposed to have feelings, but I did start putting my feelings down on paper. And it was easy for me to put it in the form of a sermon. I'd heard a whole lot more sermons than I had read poems. Or I knew I couldn't do a novel or a short story, but a sermon was something I was familiar with, and it really helped me focus exactly what I was feeling, what I was going through, and as you said, the hope that I felt for the rest of my life and for, for that day. Something I worked on for a while. I, uh, I was glad that I had the opportunity several years ago to uh, present it to First Baptist Church because I had not uh, verbalized it before. It's just something I'd had, I'd worked on. And I thought it expressed very well what I was going through, and I'm sure what others have gone through or are going through presently. But if it's okay, I'd just like to present this, and remember, it is in the form of a sermon. So when I say those here today, I'm speaking to the congregation, not to the radio audience necessarily. In 1 Samuel 23, the great King David says, there is just one step between me and death. Just one step. Tell me about it. On a lovely spring day in 1995, when trying to awaken my 15-year-old son Richard for school, there was no response. He was lying on the floor of his room, moaning in obvious pain. I could not get him to answer or even acknowledge my presence. We called for the emergency medical team and after a few moments of working with him, he was transported to the local hospital. The emergency room doctors and nurses determined rather quickly what was wrong and said there was nothing they could do there, but we needed to get him to a larger, better equipped facility as soon as possible. He was taken to Lutheran Hospital in La Crosse, Wisconsin by ambulance. When we arrived, he was immediately wheeled into an isolation room in pediatric intensive care. We were told he had bacterial meningitis, and no one could predict what the outcome would be. He would either awaken from his now deepening coma and be just fine, or he wouldn't. We just had to let it run its course. 
the doctors immediately began giving all the antibiotics they could and working to keep him comfortable. I immediately began praying for his complete recovery. My wife, daughter, and I began calling family and friends, most of them being at least 14 hours away, to tell them what we knew and to ask also for their prayers. As the hours passed, the mood got worse. There was a point where my daughter, Rachel, said she was not going back into Richard's hospital room because that was not her twin brother in there. He just wasn't like that. He had always been so full of life. After about 20 hours and his family members arrived, the doctors radically changed their approach. They stopped trying to treat the illness and began to try to determine what damage had been done. He had been breathing with the help of a respirator for several hours, and they openly stated that they didn't know if at that time Richard was alive or not. But they could say that enough brain damage had been done that he probably would never come out of the coma. At that very moment, my prayers changed. I had selfishly been praying for recovery, Then I started asking God what was His will and that it might be done. And at that moment, a sudden peace came over me, something that I really cannot explain, but I felt more at ease. I felt like things, whatever the outcome, would not terribly uh, tear me apart where I could not function. I knew that God was with me then and there. None of you here today knew Richard. Even in his relative youth, youth, he had a tremendous impact on those he touched. Whether it was in baseball or soccer, Sunday school or youth group, he was a winner and delighted in bringing others along with him. It is because of his willingness to share that I feel compelled today to share with you some things I have learned all over again through the death of my son. It is, I think, the best way I can honor Him. And it is, I hope, the best way that I can pierce through your minds and your hearts with what I pray will be a strengthening and encouraging word from the Lord. You see, I've learned all over again that life indeed is uncertain. We are all just one step away from death, as King David said. But I've also learned all over again that while life is uncertain, There are certain things in life that last. Three things, to be precise. There is faith, there is hope, and there is love. I have learned all over again that while life is uncertain, faith lasts. It is without question the toughest thing I ever had to do in my life. I had to decide whether or not to donate organs from Richard's body. Organs the doctor said he had no more use for. Thankfully, I had family members and the Holy Spirit to support that decision. I said it's over, but it's not over. And this had a deeper meaning than just organ donation. It is over. Yes, his life on this earth is over. There is no denying that, and there is no denying the pain of that. But my faith would not let it leave there. My faith is what added the phrase, but it's not over. And there is no denying the reality of that either. I shall see Richard again. It's over, but it's not over. 
and I have reflected in the months since what I would have done under these circumstances if I had had no faith. I tell you, I think I would have gone mad. And I wondered then, and I wonder now, how in the world anyone can face any tragedy in life, especially a tragedy like that, without faith. It is faith that enabled me to say it's over, but it's not over. And being able to say it is not over turned unbearable grief into bearable sorrow. Some years ago, the great Scottish preacher, Dr. John Arthur Gossett, lost his wife to tragic, untimely death. When next he returned to the pulpit, he preached a sermon of uncommon power. The sermon ended with these words, I do not think we need to be afraid of life. Oh, our hearts are frail, and there are places where the road is very steep and very lonely. But we have a wonderful God. And Paul said, What can separate us from that God? Not death. He says immediately, pushing that aside at once as the most obvious of all possibilities. No, not death. And Paul is right. Because I, standing in the roaring of the Jordan, cold to the heart with this dreadful cheer, and very conscious of the terror of its rushing, I can call back to you who one day in your own time shall have to cross it. Be of good cheer, my friends. Do not be afraid, for I have felt the bottom and it is sound. That's the way I feel today. I stand here not to declare to you some kind of rose-colored glasses, health and wealth, pie in the sky, fantasy land kind of message. I come here today to tell you the truth, the truth as I have come, with God's help, to understand it. Do not try to tell me that I do not know what life in the real world is all about. Do not try to suggest to me that I am somehow isolated or insulated from the real workings of the real world. I have been to the bottom. I have been to where few of you ever have been, or God willing will ever have to go. I've been to where life hurts the most and cuts the deepest and hits the hardest. Therefore, listen to me when I tell you what is true. Faith in Jesus Christ is not some sideline pursuit, some pleasant diversion, some enjoyable hobby in your life. Faith in Jesus Christ is not something you exercise only when it is convenient, or only when it helps you along your life's career track, or only when you want to appear to others to be respectable. Faith in Jesus Christ is nothing less than the very center of your life, and you must see faith in Christ as being the very foundation upon which your whole existence depends, because nothing else in your life really matters. No matter how important you may think any other dimension in your life may be, I can tell you that nothing in your life is going to last. When the doctor says to you, your son did not survive, I can tell you, you discover right then and right there that you have nothing left except your faith. And it is because of my faith that I say to you today, do not ever be afraid, 
for I feel the bottom, and it is sound. Faith lasts. I learned all over again that while life is uncertain, hope lasts. For several years, Dr. William Sloan Kaufman was the minister of the Riverside Church in New York City. It was in January of 1984 that William Sloan Kaufman's son, Alex, 24 years old, was driving his car one stormy night in the city of Boston when the car skidded out of control and plunged into the Boston Harbor. Alex died in the accident. When William Sloan Coffin next returned to the pulpit, he said this about Alex. He beat me at every game we played. Now he has beat me to the grave. And in what William Sloan Coffin said next, I realize that he and I not only share a common bond, but we share a common hope. For he said, I know that while Alex beat me to the grave, the finish line was not Boston Harbor in the middle of the night. If a lamp went out, it was because, for Alex at least, the dawn had come. Oh, I think I would have expressed it just a bit differently. I think I would say, Richard didn't beat me to the grave. Richard beat me to heaven. But what was true for Alex Coffin is also true for Richard. If a lamp went out, it was because for Richard, the dawn had come. Someone once said, What would become of us if we did not take our stand upon hope? If we did not move through the darkness of this world on the path illuminated by the Word and the Spirit of God? It is that hope upon which I have tried to stand all my life, and it is upon that hope I stand now. I don't know how familiar you are with the process of organ donation. I pray it is something none of you have to experience firsthand. Everything is handled through procurement organizations. The donor families and the recipients are kept apart for a period of time. There is no contact except through this intermediate organization. I do not know names or details, and I do not want to know or certainly need to know. But I have learned that because of the healthy and vital organs that lived inside my son that were freely given away, seven people now have new lives. Do you suppose they gave up hope? Hope and prayer was all they had. Just imagine seven families who had their prayers answered, seven families that stood upon hope. To them, hope is real, and prayers are answered. Hope lasts. I've learned all over again that while life is uncertain, best of all, I think, love lasts. I've known all along that life is serious and that we ought never to treat it lightly or casually. I've known all along that we ought never put off until tomorrow what we should do today because tomorrow may never come. I will never have tomorrow with Richard. And now I remember every day that God had a son, that God gave that son to die for us all. And God then sat down beside the grave and mourned a while. 
Then on Easter, he gave to his son and to my son and to all who believe in his son the gift of eternal life. His love lasts. Do you understand what I mean when I say the great tragedy in life is not to die? It's not even to die young. The great tragedy in life is to die without having lived. And the ultimate tragedy is to die without having lived with or for Jesus Christ. For God so loved my son Richard that he gave his son Jesus. The death of my son hurts. It hurts more than I can ever say. The wound is deep, but the wound is clean. It's clean because I know how much I loved him, and I know how much he loved me, and I know how much God loves both of us. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. If you don't do anything else, please do this. Love. Love. Love while you still can. Make the most of any moments that are yours, because too soon they may be gone. Then you will be left with nothing but your memories. So build good memories in your life. I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Love those whom God has given you to love, and love them while you still can. I did that. Now I am so glad. Love lasts. I've been helped in these months by remembering that in 1873, a lawyer from Chicago named H.G. Spafford placed his wife and four children on an ocean liner, the Ville du Havre, to sail from New York to France. It was Spafford's intent several weeks later, after he had cleaned up some urgent pressing business, to join them on the other side of the Atlantic. The sea voyage began beautifully. But then, on the night of November 21, 1873, as the Ville du Havre sailed the seas of the Atlantic Ocean, suddenly she struck another vessel. Within 30 minutes, the Ville du Havre sank, with a loss of almost all those on board. Mrs. Spafford was miraculously saved by sailors, but the four children were gone. Mrs. Spafford wired a message home to her husband, two words, Saved alone. That night, H.G. Spafford walked the floors of his home in deep, deep anguish, but also in deep, deep prayer. And then, just before the dawn, he said to his close friend, Major Whittle, I am glad that I am able to trust my Lord when it cost me something. Later on, as H.G. Spafford sailed to meet his grieving wife on the other side of the Atlantic, when his ship sailed precisely over the spot in the ocean where the Ville du Havre had sunk, carrying his four children to their deaths, H.G. Spafford sat down and wrote a hymn. The tune he composed, he gave the name of the ship on which the children died, Ville du Havre. The words he wrote were strengthening many a soul. Now they strengthen mine. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, 
It is well with my soul. Dear friends, it is costing me terribly to say this to you today. But when in your life the waters are deep, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you can say and know that it is true, in Christ it is well. It is well with your soul. Our Father, we thank you for your love. Help us hold on to hope and keep us strong in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to John Fox from Smithfield, North Carolina, as he has shared the story of his son's sudden death back in 1995. John, I thank you very much, and I know this has meant a lot to many people out there, and I, I thank you for sharing. I know it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it, it will make a difference in the lives of many people today. And um, is there anything that you would like to add to what you have said now? I know that's what you had said back um, when you gave that sermon at our church in 2005, but I just, just didn't know if there's anything else you would like to say um, before we close today. I, I would say that whenever I think, talk, converse about Richard and his death, it, it is sad. But that also brings me to the point of also knowing that God is still with me. Is is He said he will not leave us nor forsake us, and he has not and he will not. And I think that hope people can hold on to. Uh, it takes a while to get to that hope, to get to that realization that God is there with you. And as long as you don't turn your back on him, he won't turn his back on you. Thank you for that. I think that is so true, and I thank you again so much. And um, this this um, sermon that he's given, I myself, uh, unfortunately, has come to know several people who have lost children and I have handed out like 40 copies of this, probably over 40 copies of this message. So thank you again for sharing. And um, I want to end with this verse from Romans that I, I like, Romans 15, 13. So I pray for you that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. I pray that God will help you overflow with hope in Him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thank you for listening.
You have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 